what's in here. <laughs> Thanks, man. Good morning. Oh, that was a good, good morning. I was a little worried. Early service, everybody doing all right? Good, good, good. Well, Pastor Jim and Dina love you guys. And I have to tell you, he came and spoke for us at uh, North Point Bible College for one of our chapels this year. And I felt sorry for the people the weeks after. Every time they got up to speak, they were just like, we want Pastor Jim. We want. It was amazing. It was exceptional. Changed our lives. The college is forever different. It will never be the same. Powerful encounter. No, it was fantastic. And thank you so much for, for your investment. Appreciate it so much. And this is our, if you don't know this, uh, it's probably my, is it my beard? I don't see what's wrong. Am I too manly? Let me see my butt. I'm too much? Just so you know, I was just tempted to wiggle a little bit, and I didn't. Rare moment of sanctification. We're going to call that a win. I'm putting that in my journal. Okay, that's fantastic. Turn it off. Sorry. Turn it off? Yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. Okay. There we go. How's that? Ooh. That's nice. I like that. For those of you that don't know that uh, maybe you weren't here last year, if you don't know it, this is our second date. And um, as a person, he mentioned I was a nerd. I didn't get many of those, so this is pretty exciting for me to be able to be here with you for the second time. I'll uh, give you one little update on what I do. For those that don't know, I am uh, the president over at North Point Bible College. And uh, I just one little exciting thing. How many know that a lot of people find Jesus when their life is in chaos? I mean, it would be nice to say that all of us one day, everything is going amazing, and you're like, you know what, I need God. But how many will agree that is probably not the way that it works for the vast majority of us? In fact, 65% of first-generation Christians find Jesus in a time of life crisis. Here's the problem, though. Less and less of those people are coming through the door of the church when they're having their life crisis. They are going to their counselor is where they're going. And so we at North Point, we started a new program. It's very, very cool. It is a dual enrollment where a person is enrolled in a BA in ministry leadership, but also in a psychology program so that we can send out Jesus followers. So when that person says, you know what, where am I going to go? Am I going to go to the church or am I going to go to the counselor? It's not a choice between whether they're going to find Jesus and not find Jesus. They're going to find Jesus either place they go. And so just make that available to you. If you're somebody and you think that's your passion, I'd love to chat with you afterwards. That would be fantastic. And you probably found out already, I am a fast talker. I apologize. This is actually my slow version. So I am doing my very best to be controlled. So if I look over at Pastor Jim and he's like, whoa. And it's not coffee. It's just me. I was a spaz when I was a kid. In fact, I was born before they had the little scan things for the belly so you could tell gender. Do you know what I'm talking about? And uh, when I was in the belly, I was six pounds and I had a rapid heart rate. And they said it must be a girl because he's small, has a rapid heart rate. It turned out I was just a spaz. That's all it was. I was named Amanda for three days. They didn't even have a male name picked out for me. And then finally, my mom looked down. And this is a true story. She looked down and she goes, oh, it's a man, duh. <laughs> anyway, that's totally another story. I know. Awful. I'm wiggling my butt. I'm joking. This is awful. You sure you don't want to get back up here as punchy as you are? It could be an upgrade. I don't know. All right. Fantastic. So here's what we want to do today. I'm excited to be able to kind of, are we wrapping up the Roman series today? Is that what we're doing? Next week. Next week you're wrapping it up. Fantastic. If you are a guest here, I will just tell you, come back next week. It'll be way better. It'll be fantastic. And you are in the right place. If you are interested in growing your faith, you're just like, look, I am lost. I'm undone. I came to church out of pure desperation. Can I just challenge you? Give this place six months and just see what Jesus does in your life. 
Just see what he does in your life. And I want to promise you, you will never, ever be the same. This is a healthy house. This is a safe house. You come on in here, and you can be the real you. Every single person in here has a story, and they will be happy to share it with you. And I promise you, you're not so messed up, screwed up, lost, gone, that Jesus can't do something with you. You are in the right place this morning. Can anybody just encourage those people and let them know you are in the right place? So if I can this morning, is it all right if I push you just a little bit? Is that cool? Okay, so what I'm going to do this morning is I want to give you a list of potential trigger words. You know what I mean by trigger words? Those are words that the minute they come up in conversation, some of us get excited, some of us get anxious, but we know that they have the potential to cause conflict. And I'm going to come back to them in a little bit, but here's what I want you to do. Maybe you've got a piece of paper, maybe you've got your iPhone, maybe you just have an amazing memory, maybe you were writing down the person next to you's phone number, and you're going to stop and you're going to write down what I tell you for the next minute. But what you're going to do is when I read this list, when I come to one or two words that you're like, yeah, that's something I'm passionate about. Yeah, that's something that I've been in a fight about. Yeah, that's something my family gets in crisis over. Yeah, that is something I've actually potentially left a church or thought about leaving a church over. I want you to jot that thing down and we're going to come back to it. You ready for the list? We're going to start off easy. Vaccination. Right now, some of us are going, okay, <laughs> that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Immigration. Politics. Alcohol consumption. Gun control, are you ready? Donald Trump. <laughs> Unions and buying American. Speaking in tongues, some of you, I love this church, but when they start doing that freaky thing, they do. Hymns, how about science and creation? The value of a college education. How about defining real manhood or real womanhood? How about hashtag me too or environmentalism? Psychology or trauma? Now, how many in there found something that you have had an intense conversation about over the last six months or year with somebody? Jot it down. I want you to stick it in the back of your mind, and we're going to come back to that at the end. Because what I want to talk about for a few moments today, we'll jump into Romans here in a minute, but I want to give you a little bit of background. What I want to talk about is the nature of what we are doing here as a community of faith this morning. Have we gathered together because we want to accomplish something political? Have we gathered together because we want to accomplish something ethical? Have we gathered together because we want to get something emotional from the community that is here? Have we gathered together because we are on mission? Or maybe there could even be somebody here and you say, I'm, I'm here for the finances and for the connections. Who knows? But what I would like to suggest is that one of, if not the primary reason, and this is one of the things I think this house does well, so hopefully all I'm going to do is build on a wonderful foundation this morning. But I think the one of, if not the most significant the church, thing the Church of Jesus Christ does is that we function, if I can put it this way, as a divine theater, as a divine drama, as an icon, a symbol, a metaphor that functions to prove and establish to the world that the Lord Jesus Christ is capable, willing, and able to accept and love absolutely anybody. And oh, by the way, sometimes we as Christians need reminded of that. How many will raise their hand and say, there was a time where I did not believe, could not believe that Jesus loved me, but a follower of Jesus Christ proved to me that I was still lovable and I was still worthy. That is our function here as a community of faith. We are to be a place where people look and see and experience the acceptance that God has for them. It's a big deal. In fact, if we believe Jesus, in some ways, the world's ability to believe on the gospel is actually dependent on whether you and I will love each other well in this house. John 17, Jesus is praying at the end of his life, and he says this, I don't ask for the disciples only, 
but also for all of us in this room who will believe someday, that they may all be one. Everybody say one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I don't know about you, but I think the Trinity is pretty close. That they also may be in us, listen to this, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Then he goes on, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, that's four ones, so that the world may know that you have sent me. Two times Jesus repeats that the whole thing this thing hinges on isn't having the best doctrine in the world, isn't having the best preachers in the world, isn't having the best worship in the world, but when someone comes into the community of faith, they say, whoa, I have never seen love like this before. I've, I've been a lot of places. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of hype. I've seen a lot of tolerance, but I've never seen a place where different people with different backgrounds, different stories, even different ideologies, theologies, politics come together and under one banner, the Lord Jesus Christ, love one another without reserve and accept one another without exception. I've never seen that before. So because the world has tried to manage this thing every way possible. We are all different. We all know that, right? No, the, the goal in this room is not for everybody to become the same person. The world has tried to manage it a couple ways. They've said, well, maybe we can segregate everybody. We'll put these people over here and these people over here, and maybe then we'll have peace. In fact, some of us may be segregating our own lives. We choose our circle of friends based on everybody that we agree with. We choose the people that we'll hang out with based on everybody we agree with. We go to a church or don't go to a church based on who we agree with because we like to be around like-minded people. But I think we realize at some point that if I'm going to get everyone out of my life who doesn't agree with me, I'm going to be alone. Because if you talk to anybody long enough, you're going to find something you disagree with. Like, I listened to my sermon from last week. I don't agree with myself, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> so then we go the other direction. We say, well, we'll try tolerance. And what we mean by that is we'll go the direction where, well, yes, we accept everything, but we cannot exert any pressure on each other to become different or become better. And we also know that that's problematic because the fact is humans are broken. We need the community to make us better and to challenge us and to improve us. How many are better because of some relationships in your life? The challenge is the world has not done that well. They have tried both ways, and they are struggling at it. Now, I have a favorite statement that's by uh, a theologian named Kevin Van Hooser. I say it all the time at the school, and it's just something I live by. How many of you, you like impossible things? I love impossible things. I think it's where the church shines. And Kevin Van Hooser says this, who are the people of God? The people of God are the people that do the works of God. And what are the works of God but the works that people cannot do? And I would just say that if the world cannot get this thing right, of figuring out how to take billions of people with different backgrounds, different histories, different families, different stories, different politics, different philosophy, different education, different internal makeup, and get them into one happy family, it ought to be time for the church to stand up and say, that's all right, we got it covered. We know how to make it work. We're here to do the impossible. Amen? Amen. Okay, so if you do me a favor, flip on over to Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. And the subject I want to talk about uh, for just a few moments is this, the church and the radical hospitality of Jesus. The church and the radical hospitality of Jesus. Paul says at the end of Romans, coming into chapter 16 in our passage, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another that you may live in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and this is where we will land, therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Why don't you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for this morning, our time in Scripture. I pray that it will be impactful and meaningful. We have sung of your glory. We sang that you are the God of creation. You speak and billions of galaxies come into life. We have needs that are much closer than that, God. We have histories and stories that are causing conflict in our relationships, even sometimes in the community of faith. And that's not helping your mission. So would you help us grow? Help us get better? Help us identify only with you. You're the only thing that matters. We ask that you give us that through your grace, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you just a little bit of background on the Epistle of Romans. You may well have covered this in uh, week one. Uh, We'll do this review, and then we'll have a little quiz at the end. That'd be fantastic. But uh, at the end of chapter 16, we get this list of people at the end of of the book. And um, one thing we learned from that book, and probably is a little bit counterintuitive, is that this church is actually not very big. Probably everybody and their households are mentioned that go there. And so if you go back and you read the list, there are a few things that we learn, and they'll become important to this idea of how do we build a community that embodies the radical hospitality of Jesus. In this list, we find out that there are something like 28 people that are mentioned, and then their households. So that means there's probably somewhere between 80 and 100 people that are attending this church. They are meeting in one, maybe two houses. One at Prisca and Aquila's house, and then there's another dude at the end, and it says there's some people at his house. So maybe there's 40, 50 people at each of those churches, and if it works like the church at Corinth, they come together once in a while to take the Lord's Supper together. That's how this thing worked. And what we also learn is that out of these maybe 80 or 100 people, only five or six of these people are Jewish. Now, the Jewish people process their faith differently. They bring the whole history of Israel to their faith. They'd be like the person in here that was raised in the church forever and ever. They've been to every program there ever was. They've been raised in that. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes into the faith, and they have a very different experience because you have the five or six Jewish Christians, and we know from reading Peter's life, like, it was hard to figure out what are we carrying forward with our faith, and what are we leaving behind? Some of you, as the church has evolved over the years, the church in America, you've probably battled with that. What do I carry forward and what do I leave behind? And then we've got these other people who are brand new Christians. There are probably somewhere between 60, 70, 80 of them, and they are Romans. And not only that, but it actually tells us they have households and they have homes. That tells us they are wealthy. They have money. They have education. They're philosophically trained. And we believe that the beginning of Romans, where Paul says, I thank God that your faith has been heard of throughout the whole world, The reason that he potentially says that is because this is the first time that highly educated upper middle class and upper class people have come to Christ in large numbers. Now, here's, let me give you a a little bit of information on this. When you are a Christian and you come to faith and your life is falling apart and you don't have any money and you don't have any education, how many know you're a little bit more of a blank slate? And that actually can be a good thing. It's like, hey, I don't know anything about God. I've never thought about this stuff before. Just teach me. I'm a sponge. But when you get somebody that comes in and they're like, I have a PhD in philosophy, I run a multi-million dollar business, I come from a legacy family that's been involved in education, and you want to teach them about Jesus, how many know if you're wrong, they're going to call you? They're smart, they've been around, they have thought about this philosophy stuff, and this is exactly the issue that happens in Rome. So you have these Jewish converts, they're trying to figure out what they are to leave behind. These Roman converts who are philosophical, they're politically driven, and they're trying to figure out how does the gospel impact all of that, and how many know it's easier to see other people's errors than to see your own? And what we believe happened is that the Greco-Roman, the Roman believers, looked at the Jewish believers and said, we don't understand why you guys are so obsessed with all this stuff from Moses and the Old Testament. Why are you so obsessed about that? We've got Jesus now. Leave it alone. It doesn't matter. Now, you can imagine if you're a Jew, you're going, wait a minute. I actually have a charge to make against you. 
You guys don't have respect for the history and for the tradition. You don't have respect for what's going on before you. We wouldn't be here. There would be no Messiah if there wasn't a Moses and there wasn't. And all of a sudden they have conflict. How many know both of them are right in a way? But they're seeing each other's extremities. And so Paul comes into this situation and um, he does this wonderful thing where he says, look, the fact is I'm not going to allow either of you to be right. If we go back to the beginning of Romans, we go into the first five verses. Is that me? Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we go into, I was going to start shaking again. I was going to start wiggling again. It was getting dangerous. Um, if we go into the first, five book, the first five verses of Romans, and you can actually pull those up there, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ, and l- let me break to say this. Paul, when he's talking to Jewish people, he uses Jewish language. He's a smart communicator. And then when he's talking to Gentile people or Roman people, he stops using all the Jewish language and he starts talking about other stuff, right? So here at the beginning he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's the Old Testament. That's a signal, hey, I'm talking to you Jewish people. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. That does not matter to the Gentile believers. That matters to the Jewish believers. Then if you bump down to verse 5, he says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Everybody pay attention to that word all. Because Paul just made a very important move. He said, Jews, I'm talking to you, but I want you to keep something important in mind. And that is that your faith exists for one reason. Not to build a Jewish nation, but to build a Christian community. Right? So if we bump down just a little bit, and this is just a quick nutshell of it, but bump down to verse 8, he's going to use that word all as the linchpin that he uses throughout all of chapter 1. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. All of you who? Jews and Romans who are in this community of faith because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. How about verse 14? I am under obligation both to Greeks and, in the Greek it sort of has the intimation of even to barbarians, both to the wise and even to the foolish. In other words, he looks over at the Jews and he looks over at the Romans and he says, if you guys are freaked out that I've let these kind of people in church, wait till you see the people who I'm bringing next. Both of you guys are going to freak out and some of you are like, I've been there, I've had that moment. Then when Paul gets to verse 16, and this might be a game changer for some of us, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. What does he mean there? What he means there is not, yes, God is able to save you. What he means is God is able to save them. That whether you are a Jew, he's able to save the Greek. If you're a Greek, he's able to save the barbarian. If you are a right-wing person, he can save the left-wing person. If you're a radical, he can save the conservative. If you're an environmentalist, he can save the person who's heating their home with all the stuff that you wish they would save. And he says that this gospel is for everyone, and I'm not ashamed of the fact that there are people who I don't agree with sitting in this room together with me this morning. Isn't that interesting? So, jumping back over to chapter 15, he says, I want a community where everyone is welcomed. A community for all. Everybody. So let me do this. I want to make three observations, just briefly, about a radical, the radical hospitality of the gospel. The first is a community marked by the radical hospitality of the gospel is one where Jesus is, is one where we are not ashamed of each other's journeys. I love that he says that we are to be welcomed as Christ welcomed us that we are to welcome others as Christ welcomed us, and that he's not ashamed of a gospel that brings together a diverse group of people. And Paul knew what that meant. Paul knew that people would bring their culture, 
their politics, their history, their stories, their families, their perspectives. They would bring them all into the community of faith. And all of that would sit in one room together. He knew that the Jews would bring in the history and might overplay that. He knew that the Greco-Romans would struggle with a relationship of philosophy to their new religion. We see that in the book of Colossians. He knew that some people would bring their sexual brokenness to the church and would struggle with a relationship between their sexuality and the church. And we see that in Corinthians. In fact, it got so bad in Corinthians that in chapter 7, one of the groups actually says, hey, you guys are so screwed up, just don't have sex at all. That's how bad it was. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible? It is, but it's a bad thing. It's not what the Bible says. So it'd be a rough altar call. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Just for pity's sake, that'd be fantastic. But let me ask you a question. How many of us have changed our mind about something about God in the last five years? Only that many of us? Come on. I'm shocked. What's that? I'll ask it again. You think I'll get a better answer this time? I literally have nowhere to go for the rest of the message if I don't get a better response than that. So if you want me to wind up now, just don't say anything, okay? But if you want me to say something else and find out what's in the bag, you need to continue. <laughs> I'm desperate. I'm desperate, Pastor Jim. How many of you say you've changed your mind about something having to do with God over the last five years? Oh, look, it's a lot more this time. Thank you. That's encouraging. You, you all are gracious, kind people. That's fantastic. You saved me. That's good. But here's the deal. How many know that Jesus doesn't love you anymore now that you are more right than he did before you were more wrong? That's assuming that you're more right. I've had situations where I'm like, oh, this is the right thing. And I'm like, actually, I was a little more right when I was back over there. Anybody ever done one of those? And yet, we, Jesus loves us the same the whole way. But here's the cool thing. We love believing that Jesus accepts us just the way we are. But the call of Paul in this passage is that we would not only ex be accepted ourselves, but we would use that same criteria to accept others that we would accept them where they are at in their journey. I love this story. I use it all the time just because I think it's, it, it's a great story. In the 19th century, there were two people who defined the church. In America, it was D.L. Moody. In England, it was Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon was a pastor. D.L. Moody was an evangelist. And uh, Charles Spurgeon just believed, if I can get D.L. Moody to preach at my church, Jesus will come back, and Eden will reburst out of the center of London. It'll be the millennium. It'll be amazing. And so he gets them over there in 1874. D.L. Moody preaches. They have amazing services. People come to Christ. It is everything they hope for. After the service, they're walking through the garden behind Spurgeon's house. Now, something you have to know is that the story in England and America on a few issues is a little different in the way that we interact with our faith. And in England, they just don't think it's as big of a deal to use tobacco in the church as they did in America at the time. And so Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. D.L. Moody did not know this. So as they're walking through the garden, D.L. Moody pulls out the bigger, Charles Spurgeon pulls out the biggest cigar that D.L. Moody has ever seen in his life. I mean, it's not one of these boys. It's not a little swisher sweet. It's like this. It's half of Havana wrapped up in a tobacco leaf. <laughs> and he puts that thing in and he begins, no joke, blowing circle, blowing little puff rings and saying glory to God as he's smoking his pipe. And or as he's smoking the cigar and D.L. Moody is walking beside him in the garden and internally here's what he's thinking. What is he doing? What is he doing? I thought he was a man of God but now I see he's smoking a cigar. I thought he was a man of God. I guess he's not a man of God. I don't know what to do. He's freaking out. And finally D.L. Moody turns around, puts his finger right in Spurgeon's chest and says, Spurgeon, that brother is sin. And what you have to know is D.L. Moody was a big boy. A big boy. 
And what you also need to know is Spurgeon had a great sense of humor. Charles Spurgeon pivoted, took his hand, buried it about six inches in D.L. Moody's gut, and said, no, brother, that is sin. <laughs> now, how many know the church universal could have split at that moment? But instead, after an awkward moment of pause, they just sort of chuckled it off and they realized that they were both in process and in growth, that they both were on a journey and it was okay for them to accept each other where they were at. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been embarrassed about a certain kind of people that are in the church? I actually just heard Jesus say yes. How many times have we sat down and we, and we maybe get together with people and say, did you find out that this person in the church believes this or they believe that or they're liberal or they're conservative or they don't believe in gun control or they do believe in gun control or they're a vegan or they're not a vegan or they think being a man means that you jump out of a tree naked on the top of a bear and just eat it before you kill it? You know, how many times have you been in those conversations where we sit around and we nitpick each other? Come on. And then they take it one step further and you are friends with them on Facebook and they post that garbage on Facebook and your friends see it and know that you go to church with that person. How many have ever been ashamed? (laughs) Right now it's a fact there's some folks in this room that don't agree with you and me about stuff that we think is important. Period. And Paul, if we're to take him seriously, says, don't care, doesn't matter. Jesus first. See, because it's a natural law of emotion. Here's the reality, that when we don't welcome others who are in process, it's a sure sign that we've forgotten that we need to be welcomed while we're in our process. We forgot how badly we need Jesus to take us just like we are. I love it when Christians give their testimony. I remember when I was a sinner, I was like, yeah, like three minutes ago. (laughs) I mean, I've sinned all the time. I've probably sinned like 30 times since I've been up here. I mean, I've been wiggling my behind up on a platform, for goodness sake. <laughs> it's a fact. And it's a natural law of emotion that when we hold others at distance, we are probably holding God at a distance. Because one thing I know, when you feel the full embrace of God, nothing between you and him with all of his love and all of his grace for you, there's one thing you care about, and that's that other people experience that same thing. And it informs the way that we interact with each other. Amen? Second, I'll be brief. A community marked by the radical hospitality of Jesus is one where people are free to be wrong and to grow. Um, I love this word, accept. It has this idea uh, that is very different from the world. And here's how the world accepts. The world says, I accept you, now change. And if you don't, I'll reject you. In other words, acceptance is leverage to get you to become what I want you to be. The acceptance of the church is very different than that. I'll give you uh, one simple example. Uh, When I became a Christian, I was the kind of kid, I was raised in the church. The deacon board actually had prayer meetings for me. My dad would come home and he's like, you got to straighten up. I'm getting tired of going to board meetings where you were the the entire docket. And I was arrested for the first time when I was 13. I was just a horrible kid. And about 19 years old, I had an overdose, ended up in the hospital. I'm walking around in a circle in the emergency room thinking I'm going to die. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to me. Um, uh, the only time I've ever really heard that in my life. And it was uh, not subtle and beautiful in worship. It was, JP, if you die, you'll go to hell. Silence. Now, how many know that the way you come to Jesus informs your view of God? So I, very quickly, people had me teaching and preaching. How many want to guess what sermon I preached? I only had one. You're going to die, and you're going to go to hell. 
How many know I didn't get many second dates that way? Just throwing that out there. And then I, became, I came to this church staff, and there's this other guy on staff, and every time he talks, I can feel it grating in my soul. The love of God, the love of God. I'm like, people are going to hell, bro. I'm just literally sitting there thinking while he's teaching. I'm like, this dude ain't saved. <laughs> Little did I know that when I would get up, after he would talk about the love of God, I would get up, and I would talk about the wrath of God and how people are going to hell, and he'd be like, this dude ain't saved. <laughs> we were literally th- sitting there thinking the same thing about each other until we finally got to sit down and I realized that I was the one who had been abusing grace my whole life and so I needed a two by four to the head and he was the one that had grown up in a church and said, you're never good enough, you're not enough, you can't make it, you can't do it and finally one day he heard the gospel of grace and it set his soul free. Our stories were colliding. So we've got to spend time talking to each other, right? We've got to spend time hearing each other's stories to give each other a little bit of grace. And finally, a community marked by the radical hospitality of Jesus is a place with only one rule. How many like simple? In the world we live in, for goodness sake, I got 476 passwords, and they're all the same. So if anybody ever figures it out, I'm doomed. I'm just like, I can't remember that many passwords. I'm doomed. It's all sheepadoodle123, just so you know, in case you wondered. I don't really have anything you want. I have no idea what I was going to say. (laughs) Yes, I do. This is the spiritual part where he's supposed to come up to the piano. I told him. There's a uh, a rabbi named... It's a good job. That was my subtle signal. I thought it was him, but it wasn't. I was staying with uh, Pastor Jim and Dina. They're so gracious. And it wasn't you that barged into the bedroom the last time I was here. (laughs) I was like, we're really close now. That's good. And uh, Hillel, uh, how many have read the Old Testament? And you're like, wow, that's a lot of rules you got there. <laughs> and uh, that, take that, and you can actually expand that. We've got something called the Babylonian Talmud. It's 22 volumes of rules to help you keep the rules. Some of the kids in here are like, I know what you're talking about. And Hillel, who was a Jewish rabbi, was teaching, and a Gentile came up to him in the middle of his teaching, and, you know, he said, you know, it seems like God is very, very hard to please. you got all these rules. How is anybody supposed to even remember them, let alone keep them? He said, I believe if God wants to be known and wants to be pleased, you should be able to distill it down into one or two rules. In fact, it should be an explanation so simple, you can recite it while standing on one foot. Turns out the average person with their eyes closed can stand on their foot for about 15 seconds. I would do it here now, except the last time I did, there were some lawsuits. And so I want to distill this down, if I can, to one simple rule. And the simple rule is this. That Jesus calls his people to a radical acceptance of themselves in him which if properly experienced will always result in our radical acceptance of others. Well, let me do one illustration and I will close. It's gonna be tricky how I'm gonna do this with a mic and this. So if something falls, you can laugh. I'm gonna ask, I need Pastor Jason. Can you come up here, man? Why don't you give it up for this guy? And the reason I asked him up here 
is first off, I know, I know he's a hugger. And I'm going to hug him here in just a second. I know. It's a win. But the second thing is I know this guy's got a father's heart. And I want to show you how this is supposed to work. Every single person in here, we talked about some of the stuff on that list. All of us have things that we would say, they're part of us. If you get upset about it, you get riled up about it, it's part of you. It's part of your identity. If you get riled up about politics, you are a political person. That is part of who you are. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's a fact. If you get riled up about immigration, if you get riled up about whatever it is, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is part of who you are, right? We all realize we all got stuff, right? And here's the way this is supposed to work. The way this is supposed to work is I got all my stuff. I got my identity as an American. I got my identity. I was raised in a conservative, more right-wing home. I was raised in a middle, upper-middle-class family. I have all this stuff that plays into who I am. But, you know, it didn't work out so good for the Greek philosophers. Go back to the first couple of chapters, and Paul goes, yeah, how'd that Greek philosophy thing work out for you? You ended up being haters of people, liars, cheaters, haters of your parents. Didn't work out so hot. And to the Jews, he looked and said, yeah, how's that, that identity as just being Jewish people work out for you? Just meant that you knew the right thing to do and you still couldn't do it. Made you a hypocrite. So the right way it's supposed to happen is we lay all that stuff down. And we say, I'm not a Jew anymore. I'm not a Roman anymore. I'm not a Republican anymore. I'm not a Democrat anymore. I'm just bringing it back. I'm just accepted. Look at that. Nothing between us. Right? And then, because I've had that, if I got somebody here, there's nothing between me and them. I've dropped it all. They are fully welcomed. Now let me show you what happens. Look at this. Isn't that beautiful? I love art and I love music. No, man, I'm going to hold it. Because you're, you're Jesus in this story. You don't have baggage. I'm the one with baggage. I love art. And uh, I love music. And I have very strong feelings about both. We could probably get into a row over it if we wanted to. And here's what happens. If I go to Jesus and I'm like, you know, I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I'm keeping this part of my identity. This is really important to me. Let me, let me show you how this goes. Ready? You're a good man. Thanks. Give him a hand of applause. And I'll wind up. So here's the deal. If we're in the community of faith and someone comes in here and they see that I've got a bone to pick because I don't accept conservatives or I don't accept liberals or I don't accept someone who disagrees with me about any of those issues we talked about, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do Jesus plus anti-vaccination. 
I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do Jesus plus vaccination. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do Jesus plus Donald Trump is Cyrus from the Old Testament. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Whatever it is. We're bringing our end. Here's the deal. So we automatically don't accept some people in here. And what is the call of the community of faith? So that when someone walks through that door, if they're a pro-Trump or they're an anti-Trump, they're a bring back Obama, they're a bring back Hillary, they're a bring in the immigrants, keep out the immigrants, it doesn't matter because all they see is a bunch of people who love Jesus. And they see, oh, I know that guy. He agrees with me politically, and yet here he is. I know that gal. She agrees with me on this issue that I'm passionate about. I'm not saying those issues don't matter. I'm just saying when we take on the identity of Christ, we drop all others. They fall to the floor. They become secondary. Why don't you pop up on your feet with me for just a second? And I think in youth group, you guys should take this, and any mixed gender hugging, this should go in between. So if you see like a guy going in for the hug, monkey, monkey spirit, monkey Holy Spirit, keeping them holy, keeping them holy. I'm a nothing on my sleeve kind of guy. I'm just gonna do three things really quick. You might be here this morning and you're just like, man, I, that thing you're talking about, I wanna be in that kind of a house. But it's kind of hard because I really haven't been responsive to Jesus. And maybe you've even been in a house that exactly what I'm talking about, you went in and you felt unwelcome. You saw some behavior that signaled to you that you're, you're, you're out. I know this leadership, that is not their heart. And even more than that, I know the Jesus they love, and I know that's not his heart. So in just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to just slip up your hand real quick, and it'll be quick and easy. Then after that, if it's cool, here's what I want to do. I want to ask two things if you're a Christ follower. That thing that you kind of wrote down or you jotted in your mind, would you just ask yourself a question? Has that thing become a thing that stands between you and some other believers? When you sit around, you measure whether you're going to accept or reject some other Christians because of that secondary issue. Because we can all do it, but that's not Jesus. That's not where he's at. And then I'm going to do, I don't, I'm a big fan of calendar calls instead of altar calls. And I want to encourage you. You may be someone, you may be a young believer in here, and you're like, these conservative people, blah, blah, you know. And you may be an older person, like these liberal, hippie, young, you know, you know who it is that gets your goat. Why don't you find a lunch on that calendar of yours? Invite that person out. Hear their story. Figure out where they're coming from. You might not leave a green, but sometimes you just go, I get it. I get what's going on with you. It makes sense. So if we could just bow our heads for just a moment. I'm going to pray. Pastor Jim's going to come up. But that's you. You say, I'm here. I don't know Jesus yet, but I want to belong to that kind of a house. Listen, the love that you felt here this morning from these people, that's nothing compared to the love that Jesus has for you. He wants to forgive you, make you new. And it's an experience. It's not just a belief. Jesus wants to forgive you and love on you. You say, that's me. I just want to, in a simple way, slip up my hand and say, that's, I, that's what I need in my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to count to three. You're going to slip up your hand nice and high. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip it up. Yep, cool, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? That is so awesome. When Pastor Jim comes up, he's going to give you direction, but this house welcomes you, loves you, can't believe they get to be a part of your journey and coming to know Christ. 
growing in your relationship with the Lord. Now, Father, I'm just asking something simple, and again, and I know it's something this house does well. But would you remind us, Lord, that the single most potent witness that we do for you, the single most potent thing we do, is to love you and love other people in the community of faith. People who still don't agree with us, people who are still in process, would you give us that grace, Lord? Would you give us that grace? If we're holding on to that thing that's been a part of our identity, it feels like such a core part of us. Would you just gently, graciously tear that thing down? We don't want to stand between anybody and you. We don't want to stand between anybody and you. We ask that you do that. In Jesus' wonderful name. Can we say thank you to our, our speaker today? Um, two things, altar workers are gonna come forward. Nobody leave and don't open the back doors. Um, I know we've gone a little over this morning, but I just, how many, are, this is resonating with you. Like there's things in my life, like my kids know, bring up this topic and I'll rant for half an hour. They do it just, they just wind me up and watch me bounce all over the room. You know what I mean? And it, I, I know what, what he's saying is not, hey, these issues don't matter or there's not room for debate. It's, it's this. If that issue defines you more than Christ, Christ is supposed to unite us. What's the hope for the Jews and the Palestinians? It's Jesus. What's, what's the hope for white supremacists and Black Lives Matter? It's, it's Jesus. It's when he counts more than our pain than our experiences, than our traditions, than our, like, he's got to be more. Amen? So this is the Lordship. This is not just the Savior. I, I, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want to go to hell. But I still want to hold these things so dear that I'm walking around with a monkey on my chest. So I, I'd like to do this today. If, if You need some time just to think and reflect. Um, creative arts guys, altar music, not, not next service music. Does that make sense, what I just said to you? I, I want to provide an atmosphere for you before you go to say, what are the issues, what are the monkeys that need to go away? I love that Spurgeon thing, that sin, and he puts his finger in his big old gut and says, oh, yeah? We could do this all day long, but why? What advantage is there in me pointing out your sin and you pointing out mine when Jesus has taken our sins? Right? doesn't mean we don't have issues and moral stands and biblical perspectives and things we should vote for and things we should vote against. That's not the point of this. The point of this is this. If, when we, if we're known for anything greater than the love that God has given us that we give to others, we're doing something wrong. So, do you need prayer this morning? If you raised your hand, you'd like someone to pray with, like that's, that's what's happening here. I trust these people. I love these people. They're, some are moms and dads. Some are sisters. I'm not going to say which one because the older people get offended easily. That's so we're not going to mess with Pastor Pat. But Father, I pray that everybody today would take to heart. If they need to sit back down again, and repent of some stuff before they leave, then let them sit back down again. If it's time to go out and take a walk in the parking lot or up into the woods or up truck road, you know, then, then let us do that. We are to be salt and light. There will be things that are exposed. There will be dividing lines between righteous and unrighteous. But, but man, it, why be right if we're not with the righteous one? What, what benefit is there in having the right answer to a question or the right stand if we're not standing next to you and we have it? So with your love, with your grace, with your patience, 
with your wisdom, God. Lead your people to the right conclusions now. I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Prayer this way. Um, guests want to get connected right back in that back room. Staff is waiting for you. And if you got to grab your kids and split, go enjoy the rest of your day. Live long and prosper. Take some time if you have to, if you need to, if you want to.